This is Channel 253. In this episode of Citizen Tacoma. It's a hard sometimes to have that conversation with them when, about accountability, right? Because you know that they do a lot of really great things. Um, and, and sometimes they got to answer for the one that doesn't do great things. Right. And that conversation, I think, has so much been avoided that as a community, we just avoid the issue altogether. And that's dangerous. And now we see that the consequences of avoiding those conversations is death. Did you know Channel 253 is member supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you. Citizen Tacoma Welcome back to another episode of Citizen Tacoma. I am your host, Eric Hanberg, and we are sitting down with uh, a candidate for Tacoma City Council, Kiara Daniels. Uh, as we discussed, she will not be on your August ballot. There is not a primary for this race, um, but uh, she has a lot to say, and uh, I hope you give it a listen as you prepare for the fall general election. Let's let's go to the interview. <laughs> Okay, we are here for our interview, getting to know city council candidates. And my guest today is Kiara Daniels, running for city council. Welcome to Citizen Tacoma. Hello, hello, hello. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for uh, taking the time out to uh, to do a podcast. I had to do it. I had to do it. <laughs> um, so tell me a little bit about yourself. What's your Tacoma story? Ooh, my Tacoma story. That's good. Um Let's see. So I've been in Tacoma. I'm 32 and I've been I've lived here for 32 years. So I don't think that's the typical Tacoma story. I think that's like every time I tell people I'm born and raised here, they're like, oh, that's different. I'm right? born and raised here. Just so you know. Whoa, another lifer. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm from here. Um, let's see. I went to Hunt Middle School and then I went over to Foss uh, for a year and I um I ended up at Tacoma School of the Arts. Oh, cool. So most of my friends are like artists. Um, I'm not an artist, so I don't try to like go find my old tape or anything. <laughs> um, I, but I am a creative person, and that's kind of what led me into um, really my, my creativity is problem solving and coordinating and events and um, community engagement. That's really what I do. So... Um, after I graduated from uh, SOTA, I went over to Evergreen State College and I got uh, my bachelor's and then I went to the Evergreen campus and I got my master's over there. And I kind of, um, so I started working in like the service industry. That's where I was like my whole time through college. And then um, I also worked in nonprofit at the same time. You know, you can't just have one job in Tacoma, you got to have two. Um and so I was doing that, and I wanted to figure out how to solve problems in a different way, right? Like, most of my work was direct service-related, and so um, I think at the time where I decided that I wanted to do something a little bit bigger, I was working in education, and all of my students were leaving. Um, I was running an after-school program, and, like, we had a strict attendance policy because we were building culture. We were building—I mean, schools have an attendance policy, yeah. right? 
Um, we were really trying to build students um, and create norms and things like that. And so uh, it was really hard to do that because, and it was really sad uh, because we had so many students leaving beginning of the year, middle of the year, like continuously. Um, and, you know, when we would talk to the families, that was my job. It was always because um, of their housing instability. And so mm. they would be moving clear from Hilltop all the way over to like UP or Spanaway. Um, and they would, a lot of times they would try to commute um, for half the semester for the kids. And then it just wouldn't work out anymore. And then they would just disappear. And I knew that there was going to be no way we could work on social emotional things if we're asking second graders to uh, come to school and be ready to learn and be ready to share and be ready to uh, be a whole person if they are waking up at five in the morning, they're not sleeping because they're staying in a house with 10 kids because they're, you know, their housing situation is unstable. And that was not just like one story. That was like the story. Um, So that really got me into housing. And I went over to Habitat for Humanity and I was like, I'm going to learn all about affordable housing. I'm going to learn. I'm going to learn how to build a house. I didn't do that. <laughs> I, learned, I learned that that's not my lane. Okay. But what I did learn was um, I learned a lot about the aspects of how to fund it. I learned how, like, the mechanics of affordability um, and why, how hard it is to create affordable housing, mm. uh, the money of it. And, you know, if you know Maureen at Habitat, she'll always be like— gosh, darn it, we want to do this. It's a great idea, but it doesn't pencil. We can't make it pencil. And that was what she would say all the time. And I was like, what does she even mean by making it pencil, right? And so uh, Jason, who, uh, you know, he he does a bunch of stuff for them, but he taught me a lot of the mechanics about making it pencil and how we could do that and what would it take for in terms of collaboration with the city um, and with other um, people to, to really make projects pencil. So then um, I moved on to SpaceWorks yeah. after because I was I was I was uh, doing a year of service at Habitat. I just wanted to learn, um, but I got a job at SpaceWorks. And Great organization. It is amazing. It, that is my home. That I'm like I'm always like oh my gosh I I realize I can't work here for my whole life. But yeah. what will I do if I don't do this? You know I I really enjoy educating. I you know I started educating youth, but now I get to educate adults and I get to bring people in and. Yeah work with small business owners and um my wife and I are alums of the uh, organization yeah, I still you? do business plan review too so yes yeah. oh that's it's a great, great place and when I was when I was the host of We Art Tacoma yes. all of the artists I talked to every well I shouldn't say all of them but so many of them would give a gold star to Spaceworks at the end of the episode. It's really a family. That's great. great. Yeah, yeah so um you know there I am the business and community development uh coordinator so I work with um Basically, I work with developers and I work with businesses to connect resources from both of them, right? So developers need businesses in their uh, market space and the businesses need a place to be, but they need an affordable place to be. Um, and specifically, I work on Hilltop that has been rapidly gentrifying. And yeah. so my job is to create and support affordability and um, really make space for uh, black entrepreneurs. That's great. Yeah. So you are running for the council. Oh, yeah. That. Let's, let's, talk, let's talk about what. I forgot about that. No, it's great. Because I, I, I think um, the timing of this episode might confuse people because you will not be on the primary ballot, which right. can sometimes 
throw people when we do an interview a little too early or something like that. So yeah. I just want to remind people, you're not on the primary ballot. Right. What 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 race are you running for and when will we see your name on the ballot? So I am running for city council position six. That is the at-large seat. Um, and because there are only two people in my race, um, we don't have to have a primary. And so um, how I've been explaining it to people, because everybody thinks I've run some big scam, <laughs> like, wait a second, we, we've given you money. We, we love you. Where are you on my ballot? Everybody has been. The cool part about this is that everybody that uh, people that don't traditionally vote as often and, and kind of on these um, off-season races really are super engaged. Like I'm seeing people like asking me on me, like, why are you not in my pamphlet? Right. And I'm mm -hmm. like, I didn't even know, you know what I mean? So uh, that's exciting for me to see how engaged folks are. And I get to explain to them like what primaries are used for. Primaries are used to bring, if there are more than two in a race, you bring it down to two for the general. Yep. So they'll get to see me in November on the general election. Okay. And you said um, this is a citywide race. So this you will be representing all of Tacoma. All of Tacoma. What, in your opinion, are the the three biggest issues facing Tacoma right now? I think every area will tell you something different. Um, but I think what is kind of scary, not scary, kind of interesting is that this is maybe one of the few times that we are all facing some really big issues and we're all facing them together. Um, and for me... I think that would be housing affordability. Yep. Um, it, I mean, and that boils down. One side of the city will tell you that we're experiencing a homelessness crisis. The other side might say housing affordability. Another side might say um, we don't have any housing stock. You know what I mean? Like all of it has to do with housing affordability, right? That's the, the center of it. Um, but it looks different on different sides of the city. Um, that's the number one thing, and I think that that really encompasses a lot of issues. Um, I think the other thing that we're facing right now is um, we are deciding who we are going to be as we deal with climate change mm. and as we deal with the environment. And I really, all of like our big issues are really like growing pains essentially, right? We are deciding right now who we're going to be as we grow as a city. And I think we're not really on the same page about it, right? Yeah. And that is really tough. I feel like we are all really kind of polarized in the conversation about really everything is so much on one side or the other because we haven't decided as one city which way we'll be going. And that's, that's really one of the things that I want to focus on is creating what does one city look like? What does one Tacoma look like? What does one goal look like? How do we, um, because we all want to be in a beautiful place. We all want to be in a place that is affordable. But what does that look like? And how do we create conversation that is about that rather than this thing over here or what we don't like here? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So you asked me my top three things. I said housing who we want to be in terms of climate change and how do we want to lead the conversation on that or do we want to uh, be reactive to that conversation, not conversation, to that um, kind of journey, right? That question. That challenge. Um, and the third one, I think it kind of depends on what what community you come from. For, for everybody, I think it's public safety. 
how you go about that or what your perception of that is, I think is different. Yeah. Right. So for some people, it's property crime. For others, it's um, police accountability. Right. I think these are things that affect everybody. But if you ask different people, I think that they would tell you different aspects of public safety. Okay. Can we drill down on some of these a little bit? Absolutely. Okay. Um, let's talk about the housing The housing question. This is not just a Tacoma issue. This is an, a national issue where, where at, at prices are going up nationwide. Lots of this could be pandemic-related for a variety of reasons, but we are separate. We are different because we are so close to Seattle. Yeah. Our growth and these things predates some of the those issues. What is your sense on how we can make uh, Tacoma more affordable again? I think there's several things that we can do, right? Uh, there are some quick, easy wins that we can um, that we can get. We can do things like pass home in Tacoma, right? Okay. And one of the challenges, uh, really what that gets at is our values, right? I think home in Tacoma is one thing that really represents this value of affordability, right? And even if there are, uh, if everybody doesn't agree with every piece of that, really it's talking about a plan for our city to move forward. And that's what I really appreciate about it, right? So it's talking about how do we rethink our zoning? What do we plan for initially um, when Tacoma was created? And how are we going to adjust and prepare for the future, for right now and then also the future? Um, So zoning, permitting those are easy, easy wins, right? Um, the other thing is we have to think Although, about— Although, to be clear, Home in Tacoma does not seem like it's necessarily a slam dunk at this point. Like, uh, No, it's <laughs> what I thought was going to be a slam dunk. It's not a slam dunk because, again, like I said, um, our approach to what the future looks like or where we are uh, with, with this issue is it affects people differently. Yeah. And so— um, if you're not as affected by this, you might not be as urgent to want to do this, right? Like, you might not want to see this change. Um, and everybody loves Tacoma. We love it. It's small. It's gritty. We love that about Tacoma. I love that about Tacoma, right? And then the other side of the coin is that a lot of people feel like, and no, we don't have an option. <laughs> we have no options, right? We are either going to, we're not going to be able to go backwards. We can't kindly tell people Please, you know, we know it's amazing here, but if you could please take that elsewhere, right? right? We can't do that, and that's not that's not going to be our reality. So as we have more jobs, as we become an even better place to live, which, which is what we asked for, we will have to deal with what comes with that, and what comes with that is people, bodies. we got to have places to live, and we just don't have the stock right now, yeah. and that's putting pressure on the market everywhere, and so— um, Okay, so we talked about zoning permits, yep, yep. the easy one. Uh, we have to think about dollars. We have to support the people who are already creating housing. So THA can't do it all. Forterra can't do it all, right? There are Habitat can't do it all, right? And those are some of the big ones that I think about that do this work. But they are barely able to make ends meet. Like they can, their projects are taking what should take about one to two years to build, are taking two to five to six years to get done because of the lack of funding, mm. right? Um, you think about when it comes to the city, our pot for housing, um, affordable housing is split between businesses, split between like four other things, and there's like a million dollars in that pot. 
we got a lot of work to do. Yeah. We have to think about other ways to fund that. And so the sales tax that they um, pass for affordable housing, that's a good start. But we have to do a lot of things at one time. Yep. I think there's um, there's some really cool land trust models that are coming up that I want to see us invest in. Um, thinking about our smaller entrepreneurs, our smaller um our individuals and smaller organizations that are trying to do this, we need to be thinking about how to support them, either with land, with dollars, with infrastructure. Um, we got to be thinking about this on the for-profit side and the nonprofit side. Um, yeah. There are so many different things there that are. we could and should <laughs> do, but I think what the, what the important thing is that we have to do it all together and we have to do it all at the same time. We can't rely on one Thing to fix this entire um, There's system. There's no sil- silver bullet is what I hear you saying. Right. Okay. It's 10 silver bullets, and they all got to be done. <laughs> we all got to shoot all of them at the same time, and then we have to hope, just hope that it, it moves the needle just a little bit, right? I think that's how we could, that we have to approach it. Okay. Um, climate change, something that, you know, organizations are really wrestling with. You see that with... Metro Parks, when, you know, is redesigning Owen Beach, is redesigning it to be more resilient in the face of a rising Puget Sound. Yep. We see it in a variety of places, perhaps. We most see it in questions around the future of the port. Um, what's your sense there about what, what role you think we should be, be playing in that as a community, as a government, however you want to define that question? I'm always slower to answer this question, right? Because I think that, as I said before, like the way that we talk about issues, I feel like is so polarized. And people either want you to be on one side of the issue or the other and be really hard about whichever side you're choosing, right? And for me, when it comes to climate change and when it comes to how we move with the environment. The question is really like, again, who do we want to be? Do we want to, we know that the world is going towards a future that is, um, that doesn't include fossil fuels, right? Or we're going towards a different type of energy, right? It's not clear how exactly that will work, but we know that that is coming. And it would behoove us to prepare and be, instead of being the city that has to react to that, right? Like we saw with the port, which is what we are still kind of in this huge mess about, is that they were forced to react to something, right? And this is, we have a lesson in front of us. This is what it looks like when you have to react to changes that are outside of our city, right? So our city's going to have to move forward one way or the other, and if we do it in a way where we're on this, where we're talking to, we are including um, the industry, we're including people into the conversation, we're having a conversation about how we will get there, how we will get there equitably, how we will ensure that we keep jobs, how we transition jobs, what that looks like. I just want to see more healthy conversation about that because it's less about anti this or pro this, it's about what kind of Tacoma do we want to live in and how will we be resilient? How will we be more flexible to change and ad- and adapt to our future? And I, that's what I feel like we need to be going towards. So the conversation is so much bigger than this kind of fuel or that kind of fuel. It's about how do we like 
Right. How do we shake and move, right? And we have to be able to do that if we want to compete with other, not compete with other cities, but if we want to be in a, in a great place economically, if we want to be in a socially in a great place, right? Yeah. So. At some point, though, a, a vote might come in front of you. you oh, know, Should we have fossil fuels absolutely, in the port absolutely. of Tacoma or something like that? I mean, the reality is it's, it, we have to transition. Right. And what does that transition look like for me? We have what we have. We don't have um, we don't have the means to get rid of anything at this point. But there's no reason why we need to continue to invest in that. Right. So how do we not invest? How do we think about the best case scenario for our future? the real best case scenario and invest heavily in that. Not too much in the transition, right? Because once we get to the transition and we invest so much in that, then it's going to be, that's going to be the next thing we have to like. Invest out of that. Invest out of. So how do we kind of do both, right? Or how do we do all three? How do we hold on to what we have, right? Um, And and think about how we transition from that, through the transition, make the make the transition as quick as possible into the best case scenario, but making sure that we do it in a way that is mindful. We have to be mindful of our industries where we came from as a city, right? Not demonizing people. How do we do it with kindness? How do we do it in a way that they also feel supported, um, and that we are protecting our jobs because we have to make sure that we do that. We are Tacoma as a city that has suffered from job loss and from industry kind of continuously changing, right? And we don't want to be, and I think that's what people are really afraid of is that like fast change and everybody loses their job and then the city goes, you know, our our workers and our families are stuck, right? How do we have the conversation that allows us to think about that um, and to help transition people forward? Thank you. Mm-hmm. We're going to take uh, a quick sponsor break. And yeah. then when we come back, uh, we're going to dig into the final point that you mentioned, which is public safety and policing in Tacoma. Yeah. So stick around for that conversation. This is Doug Mackey, producer at Channel 253 and proud Alaska Airlines frequent flyer. What are you excited about in 2021? For me, it's travel. Doesn't that sound amazing right now? I spent most of 2020 looking at the same four walls in my studio, so I'm more excited than ever to get out and see the world. I want to sit in a coffee shop in some new city and read a book, or visit a museum, or visit archaeological sites like Tikal in Mexico. Ugh, it feels so good to think of these things. I know there's a lot to get through before some of that will happen, but where last year it was hard to think more than a week in advance, I have the confidence to actually start planning some vacations now. And that's where Alaska Airlines comes in. I'm not going to the travel sites. I go directly to alaskaair.com and book my travel because I want great customer service and direct flights to my favorite destinations. I also trust Alaska to keep me safe during travel right now. Their standards for social distancing and reduced touch travel are incredibly high. So if you're excited as I am about getting out to see the country, or you have to travel for essential work right now, start with Alaska. Do what I do and skip the travel sites and visit alaskaair.com to book your next flight. Thank you, Alaska Airlines, for taking me where I want to go in 2021. And thank you for your support of Channel 253.
Welcome back to our interview with Kiara Daniels running for Tacoma City Council. Thank you to uh, the sponsor of Channel 253 and thank you to the members who support this. Um, today in the member Slack, members only Slack, there was a lively conversation about the mayoral race. Um, lots of uh, back and forth. It's a really good place to, to see what people in Tacoma are thinking about. $4 a month or $40 a year supports podcasts like these. So check it out at channel253.com slash membership. Okay. So uh, the third thing that you mentioned was policing. Well, you didn't mention policing specifically. You said public safety and that it can look like a lot of different things to a lot of different people, which I think is very fair. We in my view, have had at least a year of public crisis around policing Mm -hmm. in in Tacoma. Um, We see that with uh, the homicide of Manny Ellis. Mm -hmm. We see that with uh, significant questions about the behavior of the sheriff, uh, sometimes coming to light months later. Mm -hmm. We see that in videos of a Tacoma officer running through a crowd and six months later, no no charges, no decision even really of any kind. Um, and I don't – I say that public crisis because I think I have also come to realize like how much of this happened before and it just was never uh, recorded or it was never on the front page of the paper or in social media. So a lot of issues. And um, we have we have a lot of difficulties talking about them as a community. I've noticed where yeah. um, sometimes elected officials feel like if they comment, they might violate a set, you know, a settlement or affect the jury, and it's yeah. it's just a really difficult place when this is, as I think every single candidate I've had has said, it's one of the biggest issues facing Tacoma. Um, it's really difficult. What's your thought on it? How do you think about these issues? How do you think we should get out of this spot? So I guess I didn't put that as my first issue, um, mainly because I am a black woman. So uh, for me, this is not a new issue. This is not like I wouldn't say that it is the first thing that I think about. Right. This is something that in our community we've been dealing with for decades. Um, And so it is a main issue. But um, you always are just kind of like quietly, you know, working on it. And so I serve on the. Uh, community police advisory committee for the city. And so um, I deal with this really all the time. And this is like one of my biggest, most frustrating, stressful. um, This is one of the issues that it excites me to think about how many opportunities we have to recreate something different or something new in terms of Uh, public safety? Like, what do we think about public safety? How do we think about public safety? Um, But I will say that this is going to be tough. We haven't seen a lot of change. We haven't seen um, a lot of movement, really. And I think serving on CPAC has really been one of the most eye-opening things that says, like, okay, this is really going to this is going to bring it for the long haul if we really want to do something about this, right? Um, and, and it's going to require a, a real culture shift, not just one that it doesn't just include murals. It doesn't just include like 
a statement, right? Like this is a real culture shift that we have to have that um, validates lives, um, that that helps us rethink what does it mean to be safe in our community. We have to have individual accountability. Um, and then we have to sometimes do the really difficult thing. We have family members in our community that are police officers. We have um, people that have that do a lot of really great work, right? And it's a hard sometimes to have that conversation with them when, about accountability, right? Because you know that they do a lot of really great things. Um, and, and sometimes they got to answer for the one that doesn't do great things. Right. And that conversation, I think, has so much been avoided that as a community, we just avoid the issue altogether. And that's dangerous. And now we see that the consequences of avoiding those conversations is death. A lot of it. And now it's on camera. And we know that these things could have been prevented. It's um, It's insane to see, like... Things happen on camera, and then a year later, you see another video um, of something, of some other kind of brutality or some other kind of um, case from the same group. And you're like, dang, we could have, if we were just paying a little bit more attention, if we had just said something then, if we had restructured this then, maybe this person would still be alive. And that is a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. Um, and that goes, you know, that this is more than just training. Training is a huge part of this. This is more than training. This is about us rethinking about how we hire. This is about us firing people. We just have some people just cannot are not fit to do this work. And that just has to be okay. And then we also have to think about what we're asking police officers to do. We are asking them to deal with the three main things that we just talked about in our society, the three main problems. We're asking them to essentially solve all of that, right, on every call. And they their training doesn't, it doesn't do that, right? We're asking them to figure out um, someone who's experiencing homelessness, number one, where are they going to go? If they're having a mental health crisis, they've got to figure that out too, um, if they're suffering from heat because we are experiencing an alarming rate of global yeah. warming, right? They've got to figure that out too. That's a lot, right? That's an environmental crisis. That's a housing crisis and a mental health crisis, right? All at the same time. And they don't have, um, and they're not prepared to do that. And I think that we need to, I think we have a huge opportunity to rethink how we get this work done. We're already like, pinched when it comes to response times. You can ask anybody in the city at this point. I think everybody is like response times when we do call them, you know, they're like, they, you know, they don't respond to property crime. Sometimes they do. And when they do, it's not the way that we want them to. So we're stretched so far. So how do we rethink about how do we get creative about how to get things done that Number one, helps officers out, like take some of the load of the things that they already probably don't want to do um, and puts it in the hands of people that are equipped and trained to do that in a way that is equitable, that is trauma informed. Right. Um, and that gets us where we need to be. Do you have any not that I think any one thing would fix any it takes a lot. I, I, there's no silver bullets. It's 10 silver bullets. Are there some things you think would help? policy changes, you know, did the state law changes help? Are there things, more things the council could be doing that would help? 
Yeah, I mean, everything that we want to do is going to come down to dollars. And mm. I think that's the hard pill to swallow when you start having conversations about um, either diverting calls or uh, rethinking things. That means you have to, at the end of the day, you've got to rethink either budgets or um, how are we going to fund all of these new people because we can't have volunteers doing this work. It's got to be paid staff, right? And those, every everything we ask for has a budget line on it. And so that's where it gets politicized. Um, and I think that that gets in the way of how we, how creative we can be. And so when we take the politics out of what we want to see our, in our community and we don't think about it as, well, we're taking a job where we're moving this or we're doing that, then we can really think about what we want to see. But the conversation is so heated that if I say, um, gosh, maybe we can move some things around in this budget and we can think about having mental health um, crisis people come on. Um, that sounds like I'm saying defund the police, right? right. That's what people are going to hear, right. especially because I'm a black woman. That's what people are going to hear, right? And they think oh, because I'm saying that, I'm saying, oh, we hate the police or we have this kind of issue. That's not that's not it at all. I'm saying we have people that are suffering, that are, are are experiencing mental health breakdowns, and they don't have anyone to call. And if I am a person that is witnessing that, I don't want to call the police because I know that they don't have training for that and that it could result in them losing their life because it could be a dangerous situation, right? And I don't want to have to make that choice as a community member. I yeah. want to be able to call the hot team or— you know, the, the folks that are trauma-informed that do this every day, that come and bring resources, that come and know how to that specialize in de-escalation. So we can do cross-training. There's a lot of things we can do, but right now we're not even having the conversation in, in a way that I think would support that. Um, and you, I think that's unfortunate. You mentioned uh, that you, I, I think you can't remember your exact phrasing, something like your eyes were open being on, on CPAC. Do you want to share anything in particular that stands out? Because that's a, a unique perspective, I think, for our... I think being on CPAC um, showed me how hard it is to make a change, right? Anything you want to see, small or large, it really goes through a process, and it can take upwards of a couple of years to get it done, no matter what it is you want to see, unless it comes from the state level. So right. uh, we were wanting to become an oversight committee, um, which is what we should have been the whole time, right? Because we really don't have any authority. We don't see anything sooner than anyone else. Uh, we just have a different—we just have access to, like, different relationships, and we can— um, we can make recommendations. Um, but in terms of becoming an oversight committee and looking at what do we see first and what accountability can we bring, um, all of those decisions have to go through uh, bargaining. Yeah, That's rough. That's not a, a fast process. Sometimes that can be long and that can be rigorous. And People don't always want more accountability, right? If we're asking for, I think, the body cams. Oh, my gosh, that was like years in the works, right? Years in the works. And then when it finally was um, pushed through, 
there was things that needed to go through bargaining, and that took a, a really long time. And they were very, what seemed like simple asks, all had to go back through bargaining. Um, and so that's where you have to decide as a, a like some kind of a, a governing body or a leading body is like, okay, what do we want to get done right now that maybe doesn't have to go through um, bargaining? And what can we, what do we do, like maybe a tiered approach? Um, and sometimes the public doesn't want to hear that. Sometimes they're like, no, but we really need this and we need it now. And legally, there's a lot of things that just take time, right? Um, yeah. And so that's the hard part. That's that's why I'm saying like, gosh, if you really want to be in this, you got to be in it for the long haul. This is not um, a sprint. Real change is a marathon and it would be so much easier. It will be so much easier when we have um, a organization that is supportive and that really, really wants to see that change just as much as everybody else. Yeah. Um, I want to give you an opportunity for a closing pitch. Why why vote for Kiara Daniels on your November ballot? Oh, that's an easy one. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, you should definitely vote for me. Just If you love the city as much as I love the city, you should definitely vote for me. I am not a one-track candidate. I really am in the community. I am really here to respond to all of the things that encompass um, what a community is made of, what ours is made of. Um, I am a part of a working family, right? So I have experienced many, many things that uh, give me the urgency, the passion, and, and the fire to really get things done. That's about me. But we're about to be in primaries. And what I know is important is that it's not just going to be me, right? I've got to have, it doesn't matter what I think. Hmm. It matters that if there's four other people that are as passionate and that have the background and that have the fire to do the work. And so I would encourage folks to not only vote for me in November, but to really think about who you're voting for and your primary. Push hard and really ask big. Hmm. Um because it matters. Think about everything in terms of five, right? You're not just voting for one candidate. One candidate can't make change. You've got to have a group. So um, vote seriously in those primaries. I like that recommendation. (laughs) Um, If someone wants to learn more about you on the internet, where could they find you? They can find me at uh, kiaradaniels.com. That's K-I-A-R-A. Daniels, D-A-N-I-E-L-S dot com. I'm also on um, Instagram as Elect Kiara, and I'm on Facebook Facebook as Elect Kiara Daniels. Actually, I think I'm on. You'll find me if you write Elect that Kiara. <laughs> and on the work. Twitter. The Twitter. I'm on Twitter as the Elect Twitters. Kiara. <laughs> on the Twitters. That's yes. what I call them. As Elect Kiara. Wonderful. Uh, well, I really, again, appreciate you taking the time. Yes, and, this is great. Uh, thanks for stopping by. Keep me fresh. <laughs> Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. Citizen Tacoma is part of the Channel 253 podcast network. Check out our other shows. Nerd Farmer, 
Interchangeable White Ladies, We Are Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B Team, Crossing Division, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.